Chapter 7 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius, translated by Thomas Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Concerning Paul's Judgment in the Matter of Justification and thus we find ourselves gradually brought forward to the doctrine of justification, concerning which I see these things chiefly controverted. 1. Whether Paul, when disputing concerning justification, handles this controversy almost only, whether salvation is obtained by the observation of the Mosaic laws, either alone and by themselves, as the Jews contended, or by them when joined to the gospel, as the Judaizing Christians disputed, or whether by a life framed according to the prescriptions of the gospel without the Mosaic ceremonies. 2. Whether consequently the faith intended by Paul in the matter of justification signifies partly the doctrine of the gospel in opposition to the Mosaic law, partly the practice of spiritual holiness according to the prescription of the gospel, in opposition to the works prescribed by the law of Moses, or a certain singular virtue which apart from other virtues relates to justification. 3 whether, if justifying faith denotes a singular virtue, its essence consists in an inward and a most firm and full persuasion that Christ is mine, and that all my sins are certainly forgiven me for his sake. 4. Whether in justification faith be considered as an evidence and an argument that it is already granted, or as a condition pre-required by God in order to it, or as an instrument by which I lay hold of the righteousness of Christ. 5. Whether sorrow for sins committed, penitence and repentance, as a certain disposing condition, precede the remission of sins. 6. Whether all sins, not only past but also future, are, in justification, so forgiven together, and at once to believers, that God sees no more sin in the justified, that no deformity of sin, no guilt, no burden lies upon them, that no sin, however great, can truly hurt them, that God is not offended with any of their transgressions, that they need neither humiliation nor confession nor prayers in order to obtain the pardon of sin recently committed, finally, that immediately after the committing of sin they are as certain of pardon as after the deepest humiliation. As to the first question, the very learned gentleman, William Cave, in his book Concerning the Lives of the Apostles, hath at the end of Paul's life clearly and handsomely explained his own opinion and that of his abettors concerning it. He observes, therefore, that Paul's judgment can be best understood from that controversy which was held with the free Christian church, not only by the Jews, the enemies of the gospel, but also by some of the Jews converted to Christianity, but still seized with much veneration and zeal for the Mosaic laws. The former, indeed, contended violently that righteousness and life cannot be otherwise obtained than by the observation of the Mosaic laws, the beginning, the root, and foundation of which is circumcision as for the latter they admitted the gospel indeed yet so that they would have the use of circumcision and other ceremonies joined to it as a necessary part of that righteousness by which we must be justified with both these kinds of men paul had to do he maintaining on the contrary that justification is not to be sought from the economy of the mosaic law neither in whole nor in part but from the economy of evangelic doctrine without all the apparatus of the ceremonies and therefore by faith he understands sometime the doctrine of the gospel which he calls the law of faith in opposition to the mosaic doctrine which he calls the law of works 
sometimes that efficacious assent to be given to the gospel which does not signify here any special virtue but the universal condition of the new covenant comprehending the exercise of all christian virtues all which the very learned man prosecutes accurately and at large nor do i conceal it that there are divines of great name both among the french and us whose sentiments are not far distant from these this is a matter of greatest importance and deserves to be treated with the utmost caution therefore lest we err we must take our rise a little higher in this indeed i most cheerfully agree with the very learned men that paul's judgment is not otherwise better known than from the consideration of the errors which in his disputes he undertook to confute he wrote to those who had happily exchanged partly gentilism and partly judaism for christianity and judged that it was his business to root up the prejudices of the old sect entirely from their minds and to carry them from everything of their own whether the worthiness of works and virtues or satisfaction for sins to the satisfaction and merits of christ only and to the absolute grace of god in him the most of the gentiles living in gross ignorance of god and themselves were not very solicitous concerning the remission of their sins and generally not at all concerning the salvation of their souls others believed that the excellence of their virtues was so great that by it they could easily merit the favour of the gods as well in this world as after death if anything was to be then expected they thought they could make ample satisfaction for their vices by their virtues especially if they repented of their evil doing they pronounced him innocent who repented that he had sinned in their more atrocious crimes by which an evil conscience told them they had deserved the wrath of the gods they were wont to use lustrations of various kinds also piacular sacrifices sometimes even human by which the deities might be appeased but whereas the more sagacious perceived that even these were not sufficient they imposed certain troublesome duties upon themselves and by fastings voluntary bodily afflictions and spontaneous punishments endeavoured to wash away their sins and to propitiate the deity and they who were wisest of all taught that by nothing more than by reformation of life could the gods be pacified that the gentiles were thus minded is too obvious to need proof the jews went a little further since there are two distinct parts in justification the pardon of sin and a title unto life it is proper to know what they thought of both though they teach that there are three classes of men one of the just whose righteousnesses downweigh their sins another of the wicked whose sins are far more and more heavy than their good deeds a third of the intermediate kind of whose actions you can scarcely say which preponderates yet they believe there is none so perfectly righteous that he does not need remission and they believe that it may be obtained by the penitent confession of their sins and by the exercise of good works or to express myself in their own words by alms prayers the change of the name and the change of practice as also by afflictions whether sent by god or patiently borne or spontaneously taken hence fastings sackcloth abstinence from the use of the marriage-bed scourging if necessary frequent legal washings and sacrifices for sin but to nothing do they attribute so much expiatory virtue as to those things which must be done on the anniversary day of expiation by which they imagined all the iniquities of all the israelites are taken away in fine if perhaps any guilt remained they fancied that was washed away by death hence that solemn saying mita kapara 
let death be an expiation and thus they thought their sins were expiated but they believed that life could not be obtained otherwise than by the merits of their own works and that therefore god had so multiplied his laws that occasion might be given the israelites of meriting more abundantly and of acquiring various degrees of happiness the pharisees also added many things of their own to the divine law that by that will worship the value of their merits might be increased in this therefore gentilism and judaism so far agreed that they placed both the expiation of sins and the obtaining of happiness in something which should be performed by themselves while they were totally ignorant of messiah's righteousness the error of many was increased by the circumcision of christians who would have the observation of the mosaic laws for a part at least of righteousness joined to the righteousness of christ as it is taught in the gospel all these errors together paul impugns and confutes proving at large that there is none neither gentile nor jew who by any work done either according to the law of nature or the law of moses or devised by men themselves can acquire either in whole or in part an immunity from punishment and a right to life and salvation but that with the denial of all our own righteousness all these things must be sought in christ alone to whom we are not united but by faith this is the sum of that doctrine which the apostle handles with the utmost accuracy especially in the epistle to the romans the first proposition of which we find chapter one verses sixteen and seventeen where he extols the gospel of christ as the power of god unto salvation to every one who believeth to the jews first and also to the greek but from whence hath the gospel such a power to save it is from hence because in it is revealed the true righteousness which gives a title unto life what is that righteousness not our own consisting in our virtues or our works but god's which has him for its author philippians three nine which he promised by the prophets isaiah forty five twenty four fifty four seventeen which was fulfilled and brought in by christ god man who is jehovah our righteousness and finally which on account of its perfection is approved by god and avails before him 2 corinthians five twenty one romans five twenty one and which is opposed to our own personal righteousness romans ten three now this righteousness is from faith it is revealed offered and conveyed by the gospel as the hand of god exhibiting it it is accepted by faith as the hand of the soul apprehending it further it is so from faith that it is also to faith it is from faith whereby i believe the testimony of god the father concerning his son and the life which is in him whereby i draw near unto him that i may claim the right of the sons of god whereby i flee to him as the stronghold of my salvation whereby in fine i receive him to be my saviour it is to faith whereby i believe and am firmly persuaded that god is my shield and my exceeding great reward that christ is my most lovely saviour and finally that i am now in a state of grace and in the certain expectation of glory compare romans five one unless we rather choose to explain from faith to faith thus that it denotes a faith which begins and consummates and that therefore it is faith only which alone so avails here from the beginning to the end that it neither comes into the assistance of preceding works nor does it call in the aid of those which follow but why was it necessary that the righteousness which is from faith should be revealed by the gospel for this reason because neither gentiles nor jews have any righteousness of their own by which they can obtain expiation of sins and a title to life this the apostle proves distinctly first concerning the gentiles who whether they were openly wicked or a little more refined had all so sinned against the law of nature that they had incurred its curse 
then concerning the jews by whom the mosaic law was so far from being observed that they no less than the greeks are under sin hence it comes to pass that every mouth is stopped and all the world is obnoxious to the divine condemnation hence the conclusion is that no flesh shall be justified by the deeds of the law whether natural or mosaic but that another righteousness is required which without the law is manifested inasmuch as it does not consist in certain duties to be performed by ourselves in virtue of the obligation of the law and in order to justification but it is the righteousness of god by faith and which is common to believers without distinction of jew or greek further this righteousness is not placed in the observation of the duties prescribed by the gospel as if that were now obtained by it which the greeks and jews sought in vain every one in the observation of their own laws and their own religion for we are said to be justified freely without any cause of justification being in us but it is placed in the grace of god and in the redemption which is in christ whom god hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood in fine all things tend to this that the glory of our salvation should be wholly transferred to god and christ and our boasting entirely banished boasting is to say something of one's self which is the cause either of escaping judgment or of the right of expecting the inheritance or even of claiming something from god such boasting is altogether excluded not by the law of works that is by that doctrine which shows that salvation is to be obtained by works and gives the man who performs it the confidence of boasting but by the law of faith which teaches that righteousness is to be sought in christ and apprehended by faith without any action of ours which may anyhow come into consideration here compare ephesians two eight and nine this is the process of paul's disputation directly opposite to the errors both of jews and gentiles who each sought in their own works the expiation of their offences and a title to life and being ignorant of the righteousness of god went about to establish their own righteousness which controversy indeed is very distant from that other whether the ceremonies must be joined to the gospel of which he treats more fully in the epistle to the galatians for there was another occasion given for this epistle than for that to the romans after paul had faithfully taught the galatians the pure gospel of christ there had come suddenly in his absence certain false teachers corrupting the true seed with their dogmas for they taught that the observation of the ceremonies was a thing very necessary even to christians in order to obtain justification and salvation and because it was quite evident from the whole tenor of his doctrine that paul was otherwise minded hence they went about by every kind of cavils and calumnies to diminish his authority they also boasted of their consent with peter james and john who without dispute were the most celebrated amongst the apostles and perhaps that they might the more successfully insinuate themselves into the galatians they pretended the names of such great apostles as if they had been sent by them to this boasting paul vigorously opposed himself lest he should give place to falsehood and suffer the truth to be oppressed in his person therefore he laboriously defends the authority of his apostleship against the calumnies of deceitful men having finished this business he proceeds to the merits of the cause about the end of his second chapter verse fifteen and he so prosecutes it that even from the beginning he useth general arguments and almost the same which he had used in the epistle to the romans very unjustly says he is the observation of the ceremonies required as a part of righteousness from men converted to christ because righteousness consists in no works of whatever law and therefore not in these of the ceremonial law but only in the faith of christ 
Hence he tells us that, he said to Peter, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The sense of which words is this, we who seem to excel others, and by the benefit of the covenant were always near to God, yet we find no method of obtaining salvation but by believing in Christ. Why should we prescribe another to the Gentiles? For if the law were necessary or could profit its observers unto salvation, it would chiefly profit us to whom it was given. But if forsaking it we have fled to Christ, much less must the Gentiles be urged to receive it. We therefore, who are Jews by nature, what have we done? We have believed in Christ, apprehended his righteousness by faith. What is the end of believing? that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. For what cause? Since we were convinced that men cannot obtain righteousness by the works of the law. Here now he is engaged in the chief question, yea, in this one proposition almost the whole sum of the controversy is included, as Calvin, that most sagacious interpreter of the sacred scriptures, hath excellently observed. And thus, if I am not mistaken, we have clearly shown that Paul's design in both epistles is this, that he may recall Christians, whether Jews or Gentiles, from all presumption on their own righteousness, with which we are all puffed up by nature, to apprehend the righteousness of Christ alone by faith. Hence he concludes that the zealots for the pharisaical doctrine were deceived, who, not content with the righteousness of Christ and faith alone, urged the necessity of the Mosaic economy but this controversy he handles chiefly in the epistle to the galatians partly by those arguments which are common to works of whatever law partly by those which are more specially referred to the ceremonial law End of chapter seven